Well, as you have already been hearing, this is the second Sunday in Advent. Last week, we heard from the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah um, spoke to a people in a city that was in ruin because of the enemy. And do you remember the, the announcement of hope that God has not left the city, even though the temple, the building, was in ruins? God has not left. There is good news. And for those of us who have just heard over and over and over again, you know, imagine a world where there is no conflict. Imagine things, dream, and has been disappointed over and over, and maybe despair is creeping in. Could we hear the good news that hope has come to us in Jesus? That was Isaiah. Micah comes around the the same time, uh, a, a little bit of a contemporary of Isaiah. But he comes speaking to this same city, the people living in the the city of Jerusalem, in the land of Judah. And and he comes to speak uh, into a time when um, the people were living, um, practicing the rituals of faith, going to the temple to pray and to worship, following some of the rules but their hearts were far from God. And so God speaks through the prophet to a people living in a time of great corruption and injustice. And it's a message perhaps not just for the people back then, but for a people today. Micah's prophecies, they kind of alternate back and forth, back and forth between a call to repentance, warnings, of destruction, what the enemy will do to us unless we turn our ears back to God. They alternate between repentance and warnings of destruction on the one hand, but then also some good, good news that's following. There's this warning and call to repentance, but but also came this hope-filled prophetic promise of restoration, restoration of the city of God, of of Zion, restoration of of where God would dwell among the people there in that city. And so Micah proclaims that while judgment day is coming to Judah in compassion and covenant faithfulness, God will save a remnant of the people who have been dragged off into slavery. A people living in a land that is not their own, with values that are not their own. God will bring them out and bring them back and restore his city, restore his people. And Micah's words of promise, they ultimately point to this righteous king, this leader that God would send to them, sent from the heavenly father. And this ruler... He'll remake the people of God into a great light to the whole world, pointing all the world to the ways in which Almighty God reigns among them. And so could we pick up with Micah chapter 5? And I want you to hear the alternation between both warning and call to repentance, but also the promise. Listen to Micah chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Mobilize, marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. 
Now, he's talking in the present, but he's really speaking to the future. This is what's coming. They, the, the, the Assyrians, the, the, the enemy, they'll strike Israel's leader in the face with the rod. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. The message translation says, Bethlehem, you're, you're the runt of the litter. Bethlehem, you're just the run of the litter. Yet, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. You see that he's speaking to a people here, and yet he's making promises of what is going to happen in the future. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And then his people will live there undisturbed, for he he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of our peace. Would you pray? Father, come and bring peace to your people. For a world living in the rubble, in the fallout, in the ruins, God, come and restore your great name among your people. For the sake of the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Mark uh, mentioned the parade last night, and we had a great group show up, including my dog, Harley. And and boy, people just kind of love the the dogs that were part of the parade. Harley, we, we love our dog. She's part of the family. When she gets sick, we get sad. We give her medicine. And Harley, like just about every dog, she hates, you know, good medicine, and so we have to sugarcoat it, cover it with peanut butter. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Somehow make it a little bit easier to swallow. Micah, boy, when he talks to the people in that day, he doesn't sugarcoat the truth. These are the consequences of your sin, You need to repent. You need to swallow the truth. Take it in. Hear it and respond to it. The people of God had been playing with fire, and they're about to get burned. He says in verse 1, the enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. Again, he's speaking in the present, but he's talking about it's coming. It's coming. And what's more, beyond laying siege to the city... They, the enemy, will ultimately, they will humiliate your leader. Yahweh, God himself, and his messengers, his prophets, by striking him in the face with the rod, speaking of now again, yet prophesying again of what would be done to the Messiah, the Savior that would come, the King, the leader, how they would treat Jesus. And in destroying the city of God, just like Satan would bring destruction to Jesus on the cross, the world was questioning God's power and and His sovereignty. In fact, while God's people were mourning the destruction, others, the enemy, was laughing, even mocking Israel's God. But the destruction of the city ultimately... Ultimately, this was God's hand of judgment upon their sin. Just like 
the judgment and pain and suffering on the cross. Friends, there are always consequences for sin. Last night as we were getting ready for the parade, I uh, was walking back to my car and there, there was a gas station right there and, and a lady was getting ready to pull out and her tire was almost completely flat. There was a, a big bubble that he had emerged and was kind of growing like a cyst on the side of the tire. My dad had just had the same problem and they told him what I shared with this lady. Boy, that, that bubble is going to burst. It may burst a few months down the road, or it may burst like on your way home with the kids in the car seat in the back. And when a tire just bursts, it is not good for those in the car. And so I I would strongly suggest that you get this tire fixed now. There's some air right here. Come over. Let's let's get this done. There, There are consequences when we disregard the manufacturer's instructions that you really need to put gas in the vehicle to make it run. You, you really need to put oil for that transmission to work. You really need to watch you know, the little lights that pop up and say, you need this, take care of that. There are consequences to a life that's lived apart from God's leadership. There are consequences for nations that live apart from God's leadership. There are consequences for a people who take their cues on what's true and right and fair and merciful, merciful more from Fox News or CNN than, than from the Word of God. There are consequences for a young generation, our kids, who are raised by entertainment television and can, can tell you backwards and forwards the lifestyles of the role models that they see on TV or that they follow on their phone. But when those heroes on TV, when they can recount their stories more than they even know the stories of the faithful who have come before us, Caleb and Joshua and Paul, for example, not to mention Jesus. There are consequences. Do you you remember Micah's role? He's a messenger. A prophet of God was, was one that came not just telling about the future, but speaking the truth of what happens when we follow God and the consequences of what happens when, when we don't. And so this message isn't, God, isn't God's going to slap you in the face. This message is, boy, if you don't fix that flat tire, things are not going to go well for you. However, the, the warning of destruction, as we read, it, it turns toward this promise of coming peace. Micah's tune drastically changes in verse 2. Look at it with me. God promises that while consequences of sin are, are very real, so is the truth that God is going to do something to rescue His people. In the midst of their pain, He's going to raise one up, a leader, a ruler of rulers. And for those Assyrians or for those Babylonians, for those in power, military and and government rulers who were able to just kind of sweep in, destroy the city, drag off or, or kill the Israelites, 
God is saying, I, I don't slumber, I, I don't sleep, and I'm certainly not dead. And this may be a, a, a city in ruins. This may be a world that is anything but calm and bright. But I'm not dead. And, and, and I'm certainly not on the, uh, uh, on, the, on the retreat. I'm going to raise one up who is going to reign unlike any Assyrian or Babylonian king could ever imagine. And he prophesies, he speaks about one who is going to come, and he's going to come from Bethlehem. You know, a word about prophecy. We get kind of caught up in, or we can at least, in the cues and clues of, you know, when God says this, this means that, and, and what's coming down the road. Can I just tell you that prophecy always points to the hope of Jesus, if we will turn and pay attention and wait upon God. And and Micah says, there is one coming. And and this isn't about cues and clues, so let me just be clear. He's going to be born in the little town of Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem, though only a small village, you'll bring forth a ruler of Israel. Today, you know, we celebrate larger than life personalities who come from small towns. Gus Grissom, you know, they got a monument down in Mitchell. We proudly own those, you know, big personalities with big stories who come from our small towns. But, but in that day, in the Bible days, your place of origin, it, it either raised or lowered your stock. Influential people seemingly came from influential places, places of prominence, capital cities and such. Not backwater, hick towns like Bethlehem. And yet even when Micah would say he's going to come from Bethlehem, the people would go, oh, you know what? David, the righteous King David, the one who led us into prosperity by leading us back to God. David came from Bethlehem. Certainly he comes from this same line. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem and and raised in Nazareth, right? Nathanael was speaking of the Messiah to Philip. This is many years later. And he was overheard and recorded as saying what? Nothing good can come from Nazareth. The implied answer is, nope, nothing comes from there. Nothing good comes from there. But God specifies this ruler, this Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem, the backwoods, hick, little town. An unexpected location. You know, God has a habit of showing up in unexpected places. Ever encountered somebody famous? in an unexpected place. I remember my family was dining at a restaurant in St. Louis, and all of a sudden, uh, the, the baseball player, the catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, Yadier Molina, he walked in. Dad's like, oh, or my son was like, Dad, look who it is. I would not have recognized him. You know, uh, just this uh, last week or so, um, Gavin, Hemmerlein, and I, we went to an Indiana football game. And, um, and, and Gavin here, he gave me permission to tell the story, right? He gave me permission. All right. I, I, I want to I tell you this, this story. 
As we were making our way down the, the steps to, to where our seats were, um, Gavin fixed his eyes on somebody there just sitting a few seats behind us. In fact, when we got to our seats, he turns around, he's like, did you see who's sitting two rows behind us? It's Shane McMahon and his mom. And I was like, I have no idea who Shane is. (laughs) And so I had to kind of look up and Gavin kind of filled me in. Vince McMahon. He and his wife, Linda, they were the ones that founded this little, um, little wrestling company, you know, this uh, worldwide uh, or world wrestling entertainment. See, I don't even know what I'm talking about, but this is a billions of dollar industry today. And they founded and continued to, to lead this organization. And, and so, um, so Gavin's telling me these are some famous famous people that are here right in the same place that we are. In fact, we're sitting two seats closer than they are. I want to show you this picture. I had to look up. Who is Shane McMahon? This, is, this was Vince McMahon's son. He was a wrestler. He's now gone on to be this um, you know, great leader in the industry. And he said, not only is Shane here, but his mom is there with him. Linda is famous in her own right. Uh, she was the Uh, the CEO of this little upstart wrestling organization and grew it and grew it to the point that Donald Trump, when he was president, invited her to be a part of his cabinet and kind of give oversight to small business administration. And so like everyone else at the game, Gavin had his phone out. We were just kind of taking pictures of the players on the field and, you know, everything else like that. When all of a sudden I get a text message and I open up my phone and, and it's, a message from the guy sitting right next to me, Gavin. He's talking with me and he's talking with Brett. Guess who's here? And, uh, and, and he's got a, a picture. Uh, I, I want you to see this next picture. This is Gavin. And do you notice that Gavin's taking a selfie, but Gavin's barely in the picture. He, he's, now you see the guy in the, uh, in the glasses. That's not Shane. It's, it's one more. And I don't know if you can kind of see that, but... There's Shane McMahon, and he's got his camera out. He's actually doing the same thing that the Gavin's doing. We're both taking pictures. <laughs> and then here's, uh, here's both Shane and Linda. And uh, you can see, uh, I don't know if you can kind of see the little, I tried to circle them for you. But here we are just watching a game, Gavin and I. And in this unexpected place, these two billionaires show up. Um, I, I think that was pretty exciting. But, but God has a way of showing up in unexpected places. And, and I know we could say this. We could say, oh, yes, I believe it. But, but do we really believe that? Do we really believe that, that the God of the whole universe, who manages when the sun rises and the moon comes up, who is working to orchestrate all of the you know, things that are going on inside of our bodies, that this God would just show up near us. Think about it. Think about it. He shows up in unexpected ways and places for Abraham in his old age, for Timothy in his youth, For Balaam, he shows up as a talking donkey. 
He shows up for Caleb in this seemingly winless war. He shows up for Daniel in a lion's den. He shows up for Hosea in an unfaithful, adulterous wife. He shows up for Jacob in a wrestling match, for, for King David in the death of his child. God shows up to Moses in a shrub, to Peter in the drowning waters, to the disciples in the midst of the storm, to Lazarus at his own funeral. God shows up in unexpected places. And he does so for unexpecting people. Kevin Thompson, he writes, he says, when choosing a king, God came to the youngest. When choosing disciples, he came to the least qualified. When choosing a gospel spreader, he chose a gospel hater. Israel expected blessing through birth order, but God chose the second son. People were certain that God's protection was for the, uh, for the strong, but His law was given to protect the powerless. People were confident that Messiah would come from the social elite, but Messiah came for the blue collar, for the young. They expected Him to come clothed in glory, but instead He came wrapped in swaddling clothes. They expected him to ride into town on a powerful white steed, and yet he comes riding on a lowly donkey. They expected him to come wearing a crown of jewels, but he wore one of thorns instead. They expected him to reign from a throne, and yet his inauguration was hanging from a cross. God Almighty comes in unexpected places to an unexpecting people, just like you and me. What, what does this mean for us? Friends, God comes to you. Whom? I mean, I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. I've got nothing great to offer the world. I'm not an astronaut. I'm not a billionaire. I'm not a wrestler. I'm a nobody. And God says, I have come not just for you, but to you. Not just here in the sanctuary, but in the Bethlehem backwaters places that you and I find ourselves. God has come to you, friends. And he shows up as much, if not more so, in our weakness than in our strength. In our confusion as much as our clarity. In our calamity as well as in the calm. In life's rough spots that are anything but smooth sailing, God shows up. He shows up not just in the best of times when we're feeling on top of the world, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Our God shows up in unexplained, uh, unexpected places. I, I remember... My little boy, Trenton, I mean, now he's grown and off to college. But I remember when I got the phone call that he had had his first seizure. I think I've shared this with you already, but I, I have epilepsy myself. And so when I got the phone call that Trenton was out on the playground at school and he had had a seizure, my first thought was, God, I gave to him this disease. God, forgive me. How could I hurt my son? You know, I mean, crazy thoughts. 
And I drive, drive over to the parking lot, and there I just see this crowd of kids and teachers gathered around, and I couldn't even see my son, but I knew he was laying on the concrete. And he was been seizing for a while. And I just bawled like I am now. <laughs> the world was not calm right here. And God showed up. He showed up in that car. And he showed up and, and peace flooded my soul, not because everything circumstantially was all right, but because God reminded me he is on the throne and he is taking care of whatever circumstances may come my way. And God also reminded me, not only is he my king, he has come for my son. And so I sit at a distance crying and weeping. And I know that as God is here, he is also right there in the midst of, of that circle of folks laying there grieving and hurting and helping my son. God shows up in unexpected places to an unexpecting people. And it means that God can use your greatest heartache. He can use your greatest screw up to become a, um, a tool to, to redeem you. It be, can, can become the spotlight that displays his redeeming power. God shows up in unexpected ways in our weakness and uses that to display his strength. Look at this. Verse 3. Then at last... Remember, he's talking many, many years ago. And he's speaking, before he's speaking to us, he's speaking to a people who are lying in a, trying to get by in a city that was in ruins. No protection, no real walls to speak of. Where would our provision come from? They've burned the fields, our enemy. We're not big in numbers. They've dragged off so many of our family and friends. He says to these people, then, when the ruler of ruler comes, then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength. And like all of Scripture, this is a word for a people in that day. God's saying, one day I will bring them out of exile. I will bring my people back and I will dwell with them and be for them. And this message is not just for them, but it's also pointing forward to the day when Messiah will come and will demonstrate that it's in loving humility, it's in weakness, it's in trusting God in those spaces that the Savior will come in power and strength. This ruler of rulers wasn't like all of the others. He would willingly humble himself, suffer at the hands of the world, be hung on a cross by the enemy, yet that would prove to be his greatest strength, his inauguration, the means by which the, he would deliver and lead his people out of enslavement to the enemy and to death itself. This message is for today. It means that today, in, in times of our worry, our anxiety, our frustration, our fears, 
those become the destination spots for God, for him to show up and set our hearts free, free from captivity to fear, free from captivity of, of, of the future, what's going to happen. And he says in verses 4 and 5, and then this ruler's people will live undisturbed, and he will be the source of their peace. How often are we trying to fix, orchestrate our circumstances as though when our, our circumstances are well, that's when peace comes. Can I just tell you, the ruler of rulers, he leads us into a conflicting world. He leads us to the rubble, not away from it. Come follow me, and and he will be our source of peace. Peace takes us into unexpected places, in unexpected ways. Could I just say to you, What if peace is waiting for you at your workplace? You know that place where you go where just every Monday morning you got to pray and say, God, help me when you're sitting there at the steering wheel in the parking lot? God, you got to help me with that boss. you got to help me with that coworker, the source of my frustration. What if peace is waiting for you in the workplace as Jesus says, come and follow me? Don't avoid conflict, but I'm going to call you to walk into it. And as you walk into it with me, I will be your peace. It comes in unexpected places. It comes in unexpected ways, not by pursuing power, but diligence in prayer. Waiting upon the Lord. God, come. Give me your spirit. Give me your mind to see these circumstances the way you do. Give me the strength to be humble and to lay down all of my rights to love, to forgive, to turn the other cheek. God comes in unexpected ways. And he comes to you and to me. But what if God has come also to your worst enemy? What if God has come to, man, that coworker that just gets under your skin? What if God has come for the son or daughter of yours that is walking so far from Jesus? Could we begin to believe that peace, peace is available to us today? And peace calls us to go into the city that has been destroyed, into the places that just seem overwhelmed by conflict, and to be the light of Jesus, to share the peace with the world around us.